morning, Normandale. Good to be with you this morning. Before I do anything else, let me just uh, start by dismissing the kids. Kids through third grade, you're welcome to go to the back for Kids Church. They will come back at the end during one of the final songs that the worship team has chosen for us. So as Mason said, my name is Adam Covington, a longtime member here at Normandale and one of the elders. And uh, I'm always grateful for the privilege to open God's word with you. And thank you, Mason, for the opportunity today. Uh, I just love the way that, that Mike uh, introduced that last song, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Like, the emphasis of today's message, where we are in this covenant series, is looking at how we function together as a community, as a community of believers. So I love that, that he said, like, we don't need to leave our stuff at the door when we come in here because God intends for us to walk through some of that together. And that's what we're going to see in this, these passages today. So if you haven't been in here for recent weeks, we are going through this series called We Are Normandale and looking at an in-depth look at what it means to be a covenant member of our church. And it's, it's useful, I think, for, for current members because it's a reminder of why we do what we do here. And I hope that it's helpful for those who aren't members here to know what we value and what is meaningful to this congregation, to this body of believers. This, this covenant is what our members sign before you officially join the church. It's one of the final steps in church membership. It's something that we read aloud before business meetings. Um, it's a, a keen reminder of why we're gathered here together as Christians in this place. And it's drawn from Scripture. It's drawn from Scripture and informed by Scripture. It isn't Scripture itself, but it's taken directly from it. And so even today, uh, what the, the one that I get to spend time on is um, from multiple passages. So I've had a really hard time picking which one we're going to be in today. So we're just going to be in all of them. Like, I've got all these little tabs, and we'll, we'll take a quick little journey through. Uh, uh, we'll all keep up, I promise. I'm not going to be too hard. But uh, we're going to bring up the words on the screen, as we've done during this series, and just read together what we're going to look at today. And so if you would join me in reading this out loud. It says, We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit as we spur one another on to love and good deeds. We will meet with one another consistently, pray for one another regularly, and serve one another selflessly. We will share each other's joys and bear each other's burdens. We will build up one another with our speech and encourage one another with our example. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, I pray today that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would be convicted by our own inactivity in some of these areas, and that we would be a light that shines brightly from this place and in this community so that others would be drawn to you. Lord, please be with me as I walk through these passages and this topic, and that I would be careful and clear and willing to be used by you this morning. God, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to start this morning by asking you a question. How many of you in here would admit, we can raise our hands if we want to admit, or if you don't want to raise your hand, it's okay. Uh, how many of you would admit that you want to feel like you belong somewhere? I think, you know, I don't think it would be a, a stretch by any means to say that, that everyone in here wants to feel like they have somewhere where they belong. 
Like, to feel at home, to feel understood, to feel accepted. Uh, you know, to, in those immortal words of the, like, TV series Cheers, like, have somewhere where everybody knows your name. And I know, like, I probably just lost, like, half of you who were like, what's Cheers, right? And, you know, but, but getting back on topic, <laughs> I think it's not just in this room, but across the globe, across this world, people want to belong, right? And this, this longing for belonging has been placed in our, in our hearts, and it isn't a bad thing. Like, what we fill that longing with, though, can be a bad thing. You know, it's uh, this longing or our sense of belonging. It's, it's the reason why, like, internet forums exist and why, like, places like Comic-Con exist, right? Like, let me, I'll give you an example. Like, recently I heard this story about Eamon Carter, like, the prominent Fort Worth businessman and citizen. And, like, Eamon Carter had these certain fedora hats made for people that he would give them. And um, so I decided I want to research these hats because, like, this sounds really cool. Like, and so, you know, do a web search for Eamon Carter, Shady Oaks, Open Road, Stetson hat. And I found this whole, like, world of, like, people who like to wear fedoras. And, um, like, there are multiple, like, more than one website devoted to fedoras and how to, like, pick one out and how to price one and how to pack one. And, like, there, you can get detailed on fedoras. Like, these things exist, and there are, you know, societies and web pages and groups that you can join for just about anything. Like, if you're an international paper doll collector or if you fly hobby, you know, remote-controlled aircrafts or, or whatever, there's probably at least one other person out there somewhere who likes to do that too. Like, and if there's not, you can build a little website and people will join it and, you know, be a part of it with you. So we all want to belong somewhere. And for the purposes of our time together this morning, I, I think it's important that we recognize that there are a lot of places that do a lot of good in the world. And so my goal in this this morning is not to have anyone doubt your involvement in something. Like if you're a member of this or that group, this is not me saying, don't be a part of that. You know, that's not the goal this morning. The question I do want to ask this morning, though, is how should our belonging to one another as believers look different than our belonging to those groups? Like I emphasize those words, one another, because you'll see them repeated over and over in that covenant that we just read, right? That we spur one another on, that we meet with one another, that we build one another up, that we encourage one another. So as I've wrestled with this passage and this sermon and this topic, this is kind of the thing that I've held in contrast as I thought about what does it mean to do life together? Like it's kind of like the encapsulation of this morning. We, we do life together. So how does our doing life together look different in the church than it does outside of it? Or maybe how should doing life together here look different than outside of here? And so that's the question I have for myself, and that's the question I have for us. And thankfully, God's word is not silent on this issue. In fact, there are we are going on this page-burning journey uh, across Scripture today to see that it's replete throughout the, the answer to it. And what I've tried to can do, do is try to just condense it into something that we can all stay awake for. So that's my goal. Uh, it, there's like four points. I think we can make it through it and still have time for a business meeting and go eat lunch. So I want to start, before we go much further, in looking at who we are. Because I think it's important for us to begin with looking at that. 
who we are as believers and who we are in Christ, because this will inform the rest of what we're going to talk about today. Like, if we don't know who we are, we won't know who we are meant to be. So anyone remember the play or the cliff notes from high school of, like, Death of a Salesman? You know, Arthur Miller's uh, great play. Jennifer knows it, what I'm talking about, right? So the play's main protagonist, Willie Loman, is this traveling salesman, experiences, you know, a pay cut, a loss of job, and he, he tries to cope with this problem in his life by almost creating a fantasy world. And um, spoiler alert, Willie dies, but I guess you know that because it's in the title of the play, right? But at his funeral, his son Biff says one thing about his father. He says he didn't know who he was. So I want to turn this morning to First Peter chapter 2. Look at who we are. In this, in this chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter introduces the church as being made up of believers, and he calls us living stones being built into a spiritual house. And there's, there's so much here, even just in these first like 10 verses of 1 Peter 2, that you could write books alone about this. But what I want us to hone in here in Peter is that he shows us who we are in light of who Christ is. And so this is such a fundamental starting place for us. This, it's, but it's not often where we start, right? Um, you know, sometimes we like to start with who we are in light of who our parents were, or what hobbies we have, or what car we drive, or what country we're born in, or what show we watch, or what football team we cheer for. Like, that sometimes is who we try to define who we are by. Like, anything you can make a bumper sticker for and put on the back window, you know, that's oftentimes who we try to define ourselves as. We make bumper stickers for Jesus, too. And I often ask myself, like, does that hurt or harm, does it help or harm my witness? But what do we see in in 1 Peter chapter 2? We're going to go to verses 9 and 10 and see what it says here. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So that... A glory, <laughs> like that, a, what a resume, you know, what, like put that on your LinkedIn profile, right? Like I'm a member of Sigma Tau Delta, I volunteer for Meals and Wheels, oh yeah, and I'm part of the royal priesthood, like no big deal. No, like that's amazing that what, it, what it says here. Almost all of verse 9 references the Old Testament and Peter is explicit in telling us we are the ones who are called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Like uh, the worship leaders, I hear that Charlie Hall song in my head, right? Like, we are the ones called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're now God's people. He calls us his sons and daughters. And what does Galatians have to say about that? Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says, When the time came to completion, I love that. When the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Praise God that he made a way for us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Praise God that he made a way for this to be true. And there's something we can't miss back there in Second Peter, or First Peter 2, 
where it says we are our chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. But why? What does it say? It says, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out. Like, I love the fact that Mason said that like four times this morning already from this stage, that we're intended to proclaim the praises of the one who called us out. Like, this is who we are, church. This is the starting point. We're the called out ones, called from darkness into marvelous light. And the reason we're called out isn't to create some utopia here on earth. It, it isn't to build gymnasiums. It isn't to write Hallmark movies, but it's to proclaim the praises of the one who called us out. And it's, it's really pretty simple. Like, it's what Israel was intended to do back in Genesis 12 when God told Abram, like, all of the world would be blessed through him. So we weren't chosen just to sit on our blessed assurances, right? But we were chosen to proclaim the praise of the one who called us out. And that word, the word that we see in the New Testament for church, ecclesia, it, it takes its root from the word kaleo, meaning called, the called out ones. So we're, we're called out and we become a lot less effective for the sake of Christ when we see it as a, as a privilege and not a service not an act of service. And so that's what we're going to get at for the rest of our time this morning. We'll kind of anagram that last system sentence I had that said who we are and switch it up to how we are to reflect who we are. So lots of H's and O's and W's, but how we are to reflect who we are. And this is where that section of our covenant comes in. Like we seek unity, we seek to serve, we seek to share and build each other up. And so in our remaining time, I want to look just a couple of points at how this other passages illustrate how we reflect who we are in Christ. And so one of the first points is that God places us in Christian community. God places us in Christian community. And this may seem kind of self-explanatory, but the Christian community does not exist if we're not gathered together or assembled. Like, there is no such thing as Christian community in isolation. So note, note, I didn't say you can't be a Christian in isolation. That's certainly possible because we've seen believers who have been put in isolation through imprisonment or other circumstances. But I do hope that you see today that there's a danger and an unfruitfulness in trying to be a Christian without being part of a Christian community. Like, I'd say it's practically impossible, and it's certainly not as we'll see in Scripture, what God intended for us. So Acts chapter 2, that's a verse, you know, the chapter we always go to to look at the Christian community, like verses 42 through 47. We're not going to go through all that today, but, but in there it says, all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. It doesn't, it doesn't say all the believers were, like, in their separate homes, doing their own things, worshiping God in their own way, and they had everything in common. No, it, it says they were together. And there's something about that being gathered together. Like Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't neglect to gather together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So community is, is huge. And we know that even God is in community with himself. Like Genesis 1, 26, he says, what? Let us make man in our image. And then Notice what happens after he's created the earth and he's created man and he said all these things are good. He, he turns and then in chapter 2, verse 18, he says it's not good for man to be alone. And so God creates um, Eve and, you know, 
we see almost what they're talking about, this marriage relationship. And I know that like in some senses that's different, but at the same time, don't forget that the New Testament uses the language of marriage to reflect what the relationship within the church to Christ should look like. There's, there's images of the bridegroom and the groom, and even in Ephesians 5, when Paul is talking about how husbands and wives should love one another and submit to one another, he says, like, I'm also talking about the church. Like, this is a mystery, but this is also what the church should look like. So God places us in Christian community, and he doesn't just do it so that he can look down on like a proud, you know, five-year-old or seven-year-old. We have a seven-year-old who just built his first Lego set, you know, and is proud of it. He does it for his glory and for our good. And so that's what we're going to see in the rest of this time. Let's look at these next few points. God, so if God places us in Christian community, he places us in Christian community for our joy. And then I kind of hesitate to bring this up because I don't want someone to misunderstand what I'm saying and think that I'm saying God wants you to be happy. But I am saying that God has placed us in this community for our joy and for his. And I'm afraid in some ways we have often take for granted the privilege we have to be gathered together. Like, We often forget that it's a grace of God in our lives to be gathered and spending time with other believers. Like being in this room now or being in our life group rooms on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or any other time or in our homes for times of fellowship and prayer and deep distress over the difficulties of life. These are a part of God's grace to us. And I think that's what really puts that into perspective for me is that it's not the case for every believer that they're able to gather with other Christians. Like even today, there are fellow believers imprisoned around the world, separated from their families, separated from their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they would love nothing more than to be among fellow believers, being encouraged, hearing the word preached, sharing testimonies. And they could teach us a lot about how to pray and how to rely on God, how to rely on God to supply their needs and to share in the joys of life together. And, you know, it's not just Christians who are put in prison uh, for their faith that, that long to be gathered with other Christians. I mean, two weeks ago, Paul showed a video as part of his sermon on missions, and we got to see a couple that is a missionary family that we've partnered with as Normandale, and you know, he interviewed them and asked them questions. And one of the things that he asked was, what's one of the biggest challenges to serving overseas? And one challenge they mentioned is this longing to be gathered with other believers. Like, it isn't until you've lived long overseas or in another country that, where there are fewer and fewer believers and fewer churches that you realize what a tremendous blessing we have in this gathering, in this fellowship that we have with one another. So the presence of other Christians is a grace of God, and it's a source of joy to the believer. Like, throughout so many of his writings, the Apostle Paul echoes this. Like, he, in first, or in second Timothy 1, 3 through 4, what, you know, we see this in, often in Paul's writings. What does he say in second Timothy 1, 3 through 4? I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. In every place that he went, Paul fell in love with the people of God 
And when he was separated from them, whether that was by imprisonment or shipwreck or his journeys to plant more churches, he always said he longed to be with them again. Like, he felt this connection. And so it should bring joy to be with God's people. And this, this joy isn't like a, like a silly happiness, you know. This, this joy is an, an abiding joy. We have, we have joy in this community because it is ultimately community in Christ. That's why I started with who we are in that section. And Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is abundant joy. When Jesus spent time with the disciples before he was going to the cross and he prayed to the Father in John 17, he says, now I'm coming back to you, that's, that's back to the Father, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. So what is Jesus' joy? Remember Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 2, it says, for the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross. Like his, that's not what we think of as joy most often when we say, are you, you know, filled with joy? Jesus was joyful for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. His joy was to glorify the Father in all that he did, to obey him, and to leave us with reminders to do the same. Like, that's what he's praying for us in John 17, that he would be glorified in us, that his joy may be completed as we carry out the mission, as we share the truth of his word, and as we do it together. That's, he says in John that they may be one. He's talking about us, about believers, as we are one, as he's one with the Father. So he wants us to be so united in one another, in and through him, as he is united with the Father. So in this presence, in his presence, there's this fullness of joy. And so in Christian community, doesn't exist but through Christ. We belong to one another only in and through him. And then this next point is that God places us in Christian community for our strength. This is another, another one of those graces, right? We're, we're too weak to walk alone. Uh, God places us in Christian community so that we will strengthen one another in faith. And we see that in that passage we read. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10. It's kind of one of the other passages that we're going to spend some time in today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 24 and 25. That's part of that covenant. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I love this, this translation of it. There, there are multiple renderings of this verse. You know, it says, um, let us watch out for one another and provoke one another to good works and love. Or your Bible might say, like, stir one another up. Or, you know, the good Texan one, let's spur one another on. Like, there's, there's an activity that's implied here in this that is important. There's intentionality behind it. Like, I haven't rid many, ridden many horses in my day, but I know, like, you can't spur a horse on if you aren't wearing spurs. Like, that's a, that's a part of it. And I love the, the imagery of, of stirring one another up because I think, I think about my experiences with baking, which have been, like, I'm not a bad baker. Like, there's been some good experiences. But, like, baking a cake or making cookies or anything that involves like flour, sugar, and salt, and beating things, um, you know, it's fun, but it's also the hardest part sometimes of those recipes 
is the stirring or the mixing or they're specific. You know, they're like, you can't use a hand beater. You need to use a wooden spoon and you got to do it for 18 minutes until your arm just feels like it's going to fall off, right? More often than not, it's the stirring together. It's the mixing of those ingredients that is the key component in that cake rising or those cookies not being flat or whatever other chemistry happens when you put it in the oven. But we're called to stir one another up to love and good works. We're called to, to be active in it, not to just be passive in it. Like, there is not going to be a wonderful banana bread come out of the oven if I just put, like, a bag of flour and a bag of sugar and a stick of butter in a pan and just slide it into the oven. Like, that's just going to probably catch my house on fire, <laughs> right? So there, there's an activity involved. There's a provoking, a stirring, a spurring of one another on that happens in this community so that we'll be strengthened, so that we'll be disciplined, so that we'll be pushed to maturity by other believers and held accountable in it. Another one of those passages that's a part of this covenant that we read is First Thessalonians 5.11. In First Thessalonians 5.11, it may be on the screen. There we go. I can't keep up with all my tabs here. Uh, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. God places us in Christian community to build one another up, encourage one another. And because this world isn't an easy place to live in, and our enemy wants to take our eyes off of Jesus. We, we experience heartache and we experience death and we experience disease and we don't lose hope because God has placed us in community for joy, to share one another's burdens and hurts, to not walk through it alone like, like Mike was talking about, to share in that joy with, with one another. And have you, have you ever noticed how frequently in the church we use the word walk in relation to our spiritual growth in Christ? Like, we ask, how's your walk? Or, like, are you walking in the Lord? Uh, I mean, Scripture is replete with using that word. It, throughout the Bible, we see it intended to talking about our, our spiritual journey. And what I love about that language is, once again, by being in community, we're not meant to walk alone. And what, is, what does Paul say in Colossians? Let's see if I can find, there's Colossians. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. I love that just we're seeing elements of this uh, sprinkled everywhere. And so he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all his power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So walking together strengthens us to make it through the difficult things in this life. It, as you know, walking alone is often discouraged too. Like even Solomon in Ecclesiastes noted this. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, he said, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. And finally, this last point. God places us in Christian community for the good of others. So if we know who we are, we know we're this royal priesthood, the called out ones, we're, we're beggars telling other beggars where they can find bread. 
we will not be able to do less than bring others along with us. We will seek the good of others, not just for their temporary satisfaction, but for the good of their eternal life. Like, this is what should drive us. And so, I can't help but think about one of my favorite passages of Scripture when I think about this, and it's, it's in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2. So, only one page over from Colossians. I can find that one. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So we see saying, look to others' needs above your own. Be humble. And then he launches into a beautiful explanation of, of who Jesus Christ is, like what he did in, in coming to earth. He shows what Christ's attitude was, an attitude of, of humility and service, and he emptied himself, assuming the, assuming the form of a servant. And he tells us, adopt the same attitude. He tells us we're meant to look like Jesus. And when was the last time maybe that characterized you or I'm not asking you to brag on yourself, but to really ask that question that Paul asks. If Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, have you done that lately? And I won't, like, sugarcoat it. It's hard to do. Like, it does not come naturally to us. <laughs> That's why a part, of, a part of why God places us in Christian community, so that we push one another toward godliness and holiness and humility and love and good works. He places us in community for the good of others so that we can look to the interests of others. And then, in fact, he tells us to love one another in the Christian community the best, like, so that the world will see that our love for one another is different and that the Lord loves them in the same way. Like, so I said I wasn't going to sugarcoat some of it, and I have to admit there's a degree of, of suffering that we will experience as we serve one another. Like, to seek someone else's good over your own and above your own will cost something. Like, it might cost time, or it might cost dollars, or it might cost your comfort. And it, more times than not, it will strictly be for their good. But sacrificial service is meant for others' good, and it's meant for our good. We, we too often, I think, have this worldly view of sacrifice or selflessness or, you know, like, oh yeah, I will help him move that 500-pound couch up four flights of stairs because, like, I'm moving in two weeks and he's going to help me, <laughs> you know? Like, it's like, oh, I'll do this because I want to get this or achieve that. But sacrificial service, good works, love is meant for others' good, and it's led by Jesus's example. Like, Paul calls us to look like Jesus. Jesus calls us to look like wait for it, Jesus. <laughs> in, in John 13, after he washes the disciples' feet, he, he drops it on them saying, for I have given you an example and that you should do just as I have done for you. Like he's talking about washing the disciples' feet, but he's talking about more than that. He's talking about the attitude that was behind it. It was service and it was humility and it was love. So how do we best serve those who are not believers? We best serve them by sharing the gospel. Like, we can serve them by providing for their needs, by providing clothes and food and all of that good stuff. And it is good stuff, but we can't do only that 
as Christians. We have to share the good news with them. So how do we serve other believers? By looking at what we just saw in our covenant, by praying for the unity of the Spirit, by spurring one another on to love and good deeds, by meeting together regularly, by praying for one another, by serving one another selflessly. We serve each other by sharing our joys and bearing each other's burdens. We serve each other by building one another up with our speech and by encouraging one another with our example. We serve each other by doing life together in this community in this way. So what, what is the takeaway from that for today? What has what the Holy Spirit maybe prompted you to do in, in, as we're looking at this? And for some, I think it may be that we are in here, but maybe we're here for the wrong reason. Like maybe we're here to be seen, or maybe we're here for our kids, or maybe we're here to make mom or dad happy, or to make your spouse happy. But maybe God has placed you here to be a visible reminder of his grace in someone else's life. Maybe he's placed you here to show his goodness and his joy and his strength and his love for the world. For if we're one of the called out ones, called out of darkness into his marvelous light, you are here to proclaim the good news, the praises of the one who called you out. So remember who you are. Let's plug in, be active, be selfless. It may look different for someone else. Like the Lord may have called you out and placed you in this community but you're not doing everything you can, or you're doing everything you can not to be a part of the community. Remember, God intends it for your joy and your strength and your deepening walk with him and for others' good. But, but just coming into this room for an hour every week is not Christian community. It can happen, but Christian community happens when we do those things we saw in the covenant, when we spur one another on, encourage one another, build one another up, share each other's joys and burdens. It's when we sit together at Whataburger and talk about how hard it is to raise kids (laughs) or, you know, how we're struggling with this thing or that thing. You know, it's that stirring one another up. And so I talked about, you know, recipes and baking, and the reality is, like, throwing all those ingredients into a pan without doing any work and just hoping something comes out um, is not going to happen. Like, the end result will not be the delicious coffee cake with this perfect crumbles on top that I really like. So you may also be here this morning and not know what it means to be in a community that serves instead of being served or that loves instead of hates, or that seeks others' good over your own. And so it's this otherworldly, it's this only possible in and through the one who made a way for us to know the Father. It's only through Christ and in him alone. And you can meet him today. The, you can be a part of this community, and it's pretty simple to do. Like, in these next few moments, the band's going to come up now and we're going to sing and have just a couple of minutes to respond in whatever way you deem necessary and that the Spirit has called you to do. And I'll be down front. Another one of our elders will be down front this morning. And we would love to share with you what it means to be adopted as sons and daughters by a father who is a good, good father. So as the time, as the worship team leads us, don't... Um, Walk away without taking a moment to ask God what he wants you to do as a result of what you heard this morning.